Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Well, 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 look who's back. It's another week, another show, and I'm so glad to have you joining me. It's very early in the morning. I'm recording this on my porch on my iPhone because I want to get this done, and I'm really thrilled for you to hear my guest this week. My guest is Cole Neesmith. Cole is, he's basically Mr. Creative, but not just in a creative way. He's like a, a leader in creativity. It's, 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 uh, it's amazing. He's not like, I mean, everybody I have here, I always am like, oh, they're a performer, an actor, a singer, a funny person. But on top of all that, Cole is an author and a musician and a composer, singer-songwriter, a podcaster. And he's the executive director of Creative City Project, which does Immerse which is a uh, festival of art that, if, if it is able to happen this year, it is going to see over a 1,000 artists performing in downtown Orlando with 100,000 patrons attending. We talk about it a bit in the interview segment of the show, and uh, I'll let him speak for the project and all the other really cool stuff he does. Now, before we start, I do need to say hello and give a shout out to a new Tutti Fruity, simply known by one name, Denise. Yes, Cher, Madonna, now there is Denise. Welcome to the family, Denise. Thank you so much for being a patron of the show. If you want to be like Denise, you can support the show through patreon.com slash facethefactspod. And uh, you can help defray the expenses of producing this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. This week, Cole Neesmith and I watched season five, episode 10, called Store Games. And the original air date was November 30th of 1983. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Cole Neesmith. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way across town, live via Zoom, a man who is very busy, who is creatively a fountain of a kabillion different things and ideas and products, and somehow... I was able to catch that lightning in a bottle and bring him <laughs> here today, Mr. Cole Neesmith. <laughs> Welcome, darling. Good oh, to see you. your face. So good to be here with you. I have been wanting to get you on the show for some time. Uh, well, all you had to do was ask. I, I've been kind of asking and hinting at it for a while, <laughs> but I had never gotten around to just like, okay, this week. Uh huh. And, and here we are. Yeah. And, and Cole, let's face it. During a pandemic, it's a lot harder to say no. Mm. So there's, I, I've been able to get a lot of people that would otherwise yeses. be like, uh, just just people who tend to be busy and this stupid shit show would, would fall to the wayside. So <laughs> I was saying that um, you, you feel like you've been this ever constant presence in oh. the journey of my podcast. I'm so honored you, by that. 
you you don't even realize because right around the time I was starting to conceive the podcast and put it all together and slowly build it up, that was right at the same time that you started the Entrepreneur Podcast. Oh, yes. Which is an inspiration for people as a creative outlet, people wanting to make creativity their career yeah. or at least make something creative happen. And I, I shit you not, Cole, I forget what the particular episode was about, but there was one episode where you kind of said, you also need to just get to doing it. Mm. You need to quit fucking around. Yes. I probably say that every episode. Yeah. <laughs> but in this one, it was a particular one where that very week, I had not recorded a show. Mm. I didn't have a, a drop date set, but I had probably changed the font seven times oh. on my website. <laughs> oh, there is one and, episode uh, where, I, where I'm like, here are the things that most people focus on that mean absolutely nothing. You just yeah. need to get to work. Yeah. So people yeah. like spend forever working on their website and figuring out a logo and ultimately nobody's coming to do your thing or not do your thing because of how your logo looks. It's like, get to work and people are going to start talking about it. Yeah, totally. exactly. And you can change it. And I've changed yeah. the format as I've gone along. It's that sense of being a perfectionist and being the, well, no, I have to have every duck in a perfect row. Mm. Those dominoes have to be lined up with microscopic precision <laughs> before I knock them down. And after a while, it's just like, fuck, I need to do it. Right. And we get and, better as we do. Yeah. The perfection and, happens along the way, not before we start. Yeah. And perfection is the journey, not mm. a destination. Exactly. Or some, something like that. Yeah. It's so true. Such wisdom you're spouting here on the facts of life. Wherever did I learn it? I don't know. I learned it. I learned it from listening to you, Cole. Aww. I learned it from you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit later about all of your creative endeavors and all the things that uh, you do, Mr. Cole. But before we do that, the matter and task at hand is we've got to talk about the facts of life. What are they? The TV show, not the real facts oh, of oh, life. Oh, 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 okay. Yes. Is that what we, this podcast is about? Thought we were yeah. just going to talk about things that you know we think are facts. We were taught. Oh, <laughs> did you know say, thought... that rabbits poop twice? That's a fact. That's a fact. And it's... did you know that the first time they poop, they eat it? <gasps> Those little rabbit poop balls that you see are the second time a rabbit poops. No. Yeah. So rather really? than chewing their cud, they actually eat the first round of poop and then poop it out a second time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, let's take a moment and pause here for my <laughs> listeners to throw up a little. <laughs> okay, and we're back. Thank you, Cole. We're, maybe we'll get some more interesting facts out of you. Great. I'll uh, be, I'll be fishing my mind for them so that I can just spout <laughs> out some random facts of life. Do it. That would be hilarious. That's awesome. Uh, so we have just watched season five, episode 10 called Store Games. <gasps> it was originally broadcast on November 30th of 1983. And uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, do you have a relationship with the show? Have you watched the show in the past? I have vague memories of this thing existing during my childhood, uh -huh. but it was definitely not something that I was watching. Okay. <laughs> That's a thing. And you are, you're, you're significantly younger than I am. You're not, I, I watched it the first go round with yeah. the first uh, broadcast. So, but a lot of people lived, lived with it and grew up with it on Nick at Night when ah, came, second time around. around. Yeah, Got it. exactly. Let me do a little bit of business here. The episode yeah. was written by Andy Borowitz. 
This is his third of five episodes that he wrote for the series, and he only worked on the show this one particular season that we're in, season five. And then he would move on to bigger, better things, including creating the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh. Who knew? Fancy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yes. And it was directed by Asad Kalada, and he's the one who directed most of the episodes and then would go on to do most of Who's the Boss and the title, Store Games. Did you get what they were doing there? Did you ke- did you see what they did there? Yeah, Cole? I do. I Yes. Such tension is, there. War Games was the hottest thing that summer. It came out in June of 83. And okay. as I said, this episode broadcast right around Thanksgiving of that same year. And uh, in fact, one could call this an episode ripped from the headlines, Cole. The Cold War. The <laughs> Exactly. But the thing was, this was literally when the home computer was a new thing. Mm. And this was the rise of hackers and the government realizing we don't have laws in place for people who break into computer systems. We can maybe do, uh, I think some of the charges they did in the early days was wiretapping oh. <laughs> or some yeah. weird thing like that. Because it was like going that. over the telephone line. True. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, um, yes, this is a play on war games, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, as the episode goes along. Well, I'll just say this is a, a riveting um, exploration of that current event. Yeah, thank you. It is. <laughs> it is. It is so relevant to its time that we watch it now and have no fucking clue what it pertains to anything. Mm. Uh, so, at the beginning of the show, I always like to put my guest on the spot and ask you, Cole, if you would please give us a one to two sentence synopsis of the episode we just watched. Like a listing you might see in TV Guide, very rough. Mrs. G's store is about to shut down because she's lost so much business. And so in order to combat the loss of sales, the girls hack into their competitor's computer to try to win back business. (laughs) I give you a slow clap for that, sir. Thank you. That was lovely. I tried to not give everything away. Yeah, that's the challenge. That's the thing that always trips up everybody Mm -hmm. who is always like, oh, I want to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, I'm about to go pretty microscopic into the breakdown of the show. So let us get to it, shall we? We shall. The episode starts at the shop at Edna's Edibles. And not much going on there. That is by design. And we have Joe at the table at the front, and Joe is hitting the books. And this is a role that Joe has sort of taken on on occasion throughout the series now that we're doing the Edna's Edibles thing. And uh, I love it. I love Joe as the taskmaster, as the, the basically the store manager, bookkeeper. Okay, I have, to, I have to pause you here and ask two questions. One, please, that accent is not real, is it? <laughs> <laughs> you are not the first person to ask that. I would imagine. The answer... The answer is no. It is uh, a dialect that the actress is uh, utilizing. Is that what we call that? Is that a dialect or is that an attempt? <laughs> it's it's so funny because I grew up with this show. It never has bothered me until people point out that it's, it is a little broad and inconsistent. 
We have Joe yelling at Mrs. Garrett, saying that the business is still losing money and business is slow. I want to point out, this is episode 10 of the season. So they haven't been, they've been open like two months. Mm. So already they're in peril. Yeah, things, you know, the business is dying versus it's a slow period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully when you start a business, you have enough capital to get you through a period of time. Yeah. Longer than two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Just saying. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Uh, so Joe says that digital cash register that you just ordered, you can't have it. And something else. And she walks Mrs. Garrett back to the house part, the back part of the store, which is where they all live. And Natalie is sitting at a a new thing we have not seen before, a table with a home personal computer at it. And what an epic computer it is. Do you have any thoughts or feelings? Oh, the orange CRT monitor Mm -hmm. that's not positioned on top of the CPU. No. It's like to her right so they type but have to look to the right in order to see what it is they're typing and they do this every time they use it they do this back and forth where they type a little bit and then they look over at the computer monitor and then they type a little bit more and they look at the computer monitor and little things are happening on the computer monitor and i cannot believe they're renting that thing for a hundred and sixty dollars a month i know have you done the conversion on this I have four hundred and twenty-one dollars and twenty-seven cents in twenty twenty dollars. Oh my goodness! Now bear in mind, computers were fucking expensive in the eighties. I mean, they were not cheap. They were more. It's like you know VCRs when VCRs started hitting the scene. You know, VCRs were like you know four, five, six hundred dollars. They were oh expensive, uh, and but they lasted a while. And uh, yeah, so the fact that that my first response was that too is like fuck that's expensive but yeah. i was like thinking eh. but my thing is that if it's a business why would you rent a computer but just buy it that's- yeah well also you have to ask yourself is it worth 400 and what 420 dollars a month and there she says what does she say we're using it for bookkeeping and to store their recipes <laughs> So to do like their profit and loss, their P&L ledger, and to mm-hmm. store their recipes, they're paying yeah. $420 a month, $5,000 a year. Yeah, which is now our calculator app and our notes app, basically, <laughs> yeah. that's in our phone. Or Google Docs. Or, or Google Docs, yeah. For free. Uh, exactly. And <laughs> storing the recipes... Right, <laughs> And I will point out, when Mrs. Garrett does come up with the brilliant idea of the cheese puffs, what does she do? She pulls out her she... damn little card file box. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She's, she's a woman pushing 60 in 1983. She's not going to start looking on the computer <laughs> for her recipes. So, uh-huh. enter Pamela Siegel Kelly. in the role of Kelly, also known as Pamela Adlon. Okay, well, let me pause you here and Please ask do. you, I, you've had a lot of guests on here. Is there a lot of lesbian energy in this show? <laughs> Have you had a lesbian on the show to ask this question? Oh, you don't have to be a lesbian, Cole, to watch this show and say, <laughs> holy shit, there is so much uh, overtones, particularly between Joe and Blair. And this isn't much at all. There are other shows where you're like, are they going to start making out? Like, 
<laughs> it's it's pretty crazy. Uh-huh. But uh, so so talk to me. Where is why at this point did you bring up the lesbianic stuff? Did something happen in the episode? Well, I mean, I think this actor who portrays Kelly has a very lesbian energy to her. And I I think this show may have actually set a precedent for lesbian hairstyles for the coming decades. <laughs> yes. And honestly, I don't, I don't know what I'm get, putting potentially putting myself getting in trouble for. What I don't know what I'm allowed to say, what I'm not allowed to say, but the the thing is all girls wore their hair like that in the 80s. I mean, they did. That was a very common thing. And yeah. I know by today's standards we look at that and we say, "Oh, baby femme dyke." And <laughs> it's uh I hope that term is still politically correct. It probably isn't, but as a gay man, I I'm playing my pink card saying I can say that. I'll let you say all of the words. You say, <laughs> you'll let me take the bullet for both uh-huh. of us. Uh but the term they never used, but I think was always in their mind was tomboy. Well, so here's another reason I bring this up at this point. I made a note here. So yes. she had she she reveals that she's gotten a, a new job as the paper boy. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters, I think maybe she says it, Kelly says it, is I've gone straight. And, yes. <laughs> and when, when she uses that phrase, I, th- I th- just thought to myself, it's like, okay, now we're just talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> she was introduced to us as a criminal. Yes. As yeah, as a as a no good Nick Nair do well, if we want to keep using arcane terms. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is she yeah. So the idea that she has a job now, she does say to Joe, I'm going straight. She mm-hmm. really oh, that's the other lesbianic thing is that in the previous episode we learn that she admires Joe. She looks up to Joe right. and it's kind of like oh. be my mentor. Yeah, rest assured that even though we get to kind of, <laughs> oh my God, today, they they were absolutely not thinking of that at the time. They were not trying to tread any ground or blaze any trails. Joe is, in fact, heterosexual. Joe marries a man before the season ends. Oh. Before the, the series ends, yeah. Well, there you go. Yep, and no lesbian woman ever married a man. <laughs> right, exactly. Been covering it up for decades. <laughs> <laughs> the plot purpose that the presence of Kelly in this episode is that uh, she says, so I hear business is really terrible. And uh, the term is, she says, I hear your business is deader than disco. Yep. I have. I wrote that one down as another uh, true kind of antiquated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you realize disco died pretty much overnight in 1981. So it's like, that is still very, very... Fresh. It's a fresh wound. It's, Too soon. It is. I'm telling you. And, uh, oh, oh, another uh, another uh, culture reference that I don't know if you caught. She says, I'm a paper... Did she say she's a paper boy? Did she I wrote say down boy? paper boy, I think. I, I did too. And yeah. I'm not sure if it should have been, you know, paper, gender, non-specific child figure. <laughs> um, I think she said boy. We both wrote it down. It, maybe. It's possible. But then she does say, I'm working hard for the money. She works hard on the money, 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 <laughs> Those are the exact lyrics that Donna yep. Summer wrote and sang. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen. Speaking of deader than disco. Uh, so uh, Kelly says basically because of her street smarts or her being out and about as a paper boy girl person that Pete's Deli, this business a few blocks over, has been getting all of Edna's Edibles customers. She said Pete's Deli. 
I thought she said Pete Stelly. Like oh. Stelly was his last name. No, he has Pete a last name. Stelly. Pete, Pete Stelly is moving hey. in on our turf. <laughs> I'm Pete Stelly. I got Pete a spicy Stelly. meatball. Yeah. <laughs> no, Pete Stelly. And he does have a last name. They do use it later. I don't even know what it is. Um, Stelly. It's it, it's Stelly. It's Pete's. It's Pete Stelly's Deli. Ste- why isn't it Stelly's Deli then? Why is it <laughs> Pete Stelly's Deli? <laughs> and his wife's name is Stella. So we have Stella Stelly Stelly. <laughs> Stella Stelly. So what? What? How would you rate Stella Stelly's Deli? Stellar. So we do have an interesting little uh, reference here. After Joe says, I need to go over and break his knees, Joe goes right for the for the Bronx Mafia thing, the tough girl mm-hmm. thing. And uh, what Kelly tells us is that Pete is famously known for copying local businesses and then underselling them. And she says, when the Armenian food store opened here, Pete started selling falafel, falafel on, on a stick. stick. But here's the interesting thing is that when they first got the shop, when we first saw this set as a rundown, you know, I'm going to open up a shop here. This is this is the place. It had been an Armenian deli. The sign was still there and they even said so. So this absolutely that is canon and this episode supports it. And the show frequently does not uh, have any consistency or integrity from episode to episode. So I was delighted (laughs) that they did that well good yes so um did did you notice when when uh, kelly ran out with the newspapers she started screaming extra extra she gotta sell she gotta make that money she works hard for the money (laughs) she works hard for the money yes but I mean, extra, extra, read all. It's like, what, what is this? We're the newsies and we yeah. got to sell the papes. Well, okay, it's, actually, this is another question I had. Where are they? They're in Peekskill, New York. Okay, so they are in New York. <laughs> you don't publish an extra edition of the daily paper in Peekskill, New York, <laughs> unless Kennedy has been shot or victory has been declared over Europe. You know what I mean? It's like, why would. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, you definitely I mean, don't. It's I mean, it's a common trope. Extra, extra, read right, all about yeah. it. But it literally is an extra edition, meaning they printed the evening papers and some big shit went down that they had to put so they out. Had to print another one. It couldn't wait till the morning edition or the next days. It was that big a deal. So thank you for uh, that tidbit. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what that extra is literally. I mean, it makes an, total sense. Yeah, an extra edition in 1983. A paper boy slash girl slash gender fluid young entity <laughs> would have just simply been the person who brings it to your house. Right. Sets night, it on the doorstep. Sets it on the doorstep. Yeah. And then once a week knocks on the door and says, collecting. Yeah. And you give them your money, your right. dollar twenty five or whatever Right. There weren't paper children running around the streets of this small town. No. Hawking. No, no, yeah. No, no, no. It's yeah. Like, that's just. <laughs> no. It was such a weird, weird, bizarre thing. Yeah. Um so Mrs. Garrett decides it's time to get tough. It's time to get her business back. And what is she going to use as her weapon of mass destruction, Cole? Some dynamic new taste thrill. Wisconsin cheese puffs. What? Has she gone crazy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was just floored when I heard her say that. 
I mean, and she is from Wisconsin. We do. That is that is oh. also canon. Okay. And, okay. Uh, she's okay. From... Hold on. I think I have a different definition of gourmet food. Okay. <laughs> I I don't think I would ever include a cheese puff under the category of gourmet food. I. We have discussed this before, how there have been episodes where, and actually Pete does refer to this, there was an episode where it was all bratwurst centered Uh over her making bratwurst and having too many orders and not having the meat. And and it was like, I I was like, why is a gourmet food store where their core business is bakery items (laughs) plus catering? Uh Uh-huh. And so it's like, why are you grinding your own meat into its own? Ca- it's like, wouldn't that be a butcher that mm-hmm, would do that mm-hmm. or something? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So gourmet food store just basically allows them to do and make whatever they whatever need to they make want. for whatever episode. Yeah. Yeah. There was, Including there was episode- cheese puffs, which are in no way gourmet. No. And there's an episode where they uh, they made a guy's sandwich like it was a fucking Subway. And it was like, okay, I guess we do sandwiches here now. Okay. Nice. Prepared sure. foods. Yeah, yeah, why not? Um, so when Mrs. Garrett leaves excitedly about her cheese puffs, of course, the girls, that that isn't good enough. The girls got to hatch a plan of their own because this totally. is a sitcom. Yeah. So Tootie suggests garbology. Mm, great the idea. Way- the way people go through the trash of celebrities to learn about their personal lives, she's like, we could do the same thing with him. And it's like, no. And Blair's spin on it is, and, and Natalie's not here because Natalie's in the other room on the computer, having a slightly too personal relationship with the computer. Yeah. Is she gives it a name and everything. What does she call it? She calls it uh, Dirk. Dirk. Okay. She named her computer because her computer teacher told her to develop a personal relationship with the machine. Mm-hmm. So this is instruction from a professor. Yeah, and internet porn was still a long ways away, so we know it wasn't a sexual yeah, thing. Yeah, you can't but... get much fidelity in that orange CRT monitor. <laughs> Little X's. So. In the shape of a human being. Exactly. It was like, it's like uh, two stick figures kind of. (laughs) It's like, okay, I'm going to rub it out to that. All right. Take what you get. Uh, So Pete's Deli, we go to. Oh, oh, and uh, and and so with Natalie out of the room, we basically get the points of view. And this is good. This is all good character work where Tootie comes up with this garbage thing. Joe wants to use violence. And Blair is like, (laughs) I could flirt with him and he'd be putty in my hands. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, yes, and yes. I believe all of those. No one is stepping out of character. So then we go over to Pete's Deli. Pete's Deli's Deli. I'm sorry, Pete's Deli's Deli. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of people there. The joint is jumping. Yeah, it is. So many people. And Blair goes there alone. And uh, while she is there, we we meet we meet two people, two actors, two veteran actors. Uh, the character of Pete is played by an actor named William Wyndham, and I won't even go into his credits. He first started working in 1949. Wow! In television, so he's like literally in the dawn of television. Yeah. And he worked well into his 80s, and he passed away at the age of 88 in 2012. Wow. 
And if you look at his IMDb page, I will not read it, I promise. He has 254 credits. Good for him. And then, well, while we're talking like this, the customer, we have a customer lady. Mm -hmm. Uh, She doesn't even have a name. But the actress playing her is Nancy Lenahan, still working today, has 151 acting credits. Good for her. So she is still doing it, still cranking out the work, and good on her. And she's, and honestly, both of them are very good in the show. I really enjoy both of their performances. I wonder whose choice it was. I guess Uh it is in the writing. Yes. To make him mm-hmm. Southern, like full on, he he was one cowboy hat and a piece of straw hanging out of his uh-huh. mouth away from being a stereotype. Uh, and, I think he was even closer than that. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was but, just the stereotype. But we have this weird thing because he's he's in overalls. He's yeah. got a he's got a you know a plaid shirt on. He's yeah. got. He's got a corn cob pipe in the pocket, the front pocket of his overalls. Never touches it, never uses it as a prop, but it is there. Somebody made the choice artistically to put a <laughs> corn cob pipe into his overalls. Oh, wow. I think to me what it seems is that I think the choice was there because it's like, how about because he is a shyster, let's make him really charming. And I do have to say, as a Yankee, I was born and raised in Massachusetts, that a person with a Southern accent was a little exotic. It was kind of a, ooh, I like to hear you talk. Wow. Kind of a thing. I'm just throwing that out there. No, fine. So he is all talking to this customer. Now she comes in and she's like, I need more croissants. And she even says, are they as good as Edna's edibles? Mm. And he is all touching on her hand saying, sweetie pie, you are going to find these just as delicious as blah, blah, blah. It was unbelievable how touchy he was. Yeah. Rubbing that woman's hand, kissing it, holding it with both of his hands the whole time they talked. Yeah. It was uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. In 2020, that is beyond like, oh my God. It's like, that's a customer. That's like not even, (laughs) oof. Um, so then, um, the customer recognizes Blair coming into the shop. She's like, oh, you're from Edna's Edibles. (laughs) Awkward. And then she slinks on out, but that's important because Pete overhears this and he says, here's, here's a talk about a Northern writer writing for a Southern character. You're from Edna's Edibles. Well, I'll be a busted banjo string. Oh no. Wow. Um, so in the talk about Blair saying, so you've kind of been doing our thing here. And he's like, well, he says, you've been selling bratwurst and that's kind of my thing as a deli. And it's like, I want to say, no, neither of you is a butcher. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) But it's kind of the semantics of what is a gourmet food store and what What is is there, what is their lane that they're expected to stay in that doesn't come into the lane of being a deli not explored fully i don't believe no and uh so oddly blair starts negotiating with him immediately like like, well why don't how about we don't do bratwurst and you don't do croissants well how about we cater the nice weddings and you can do the picnics and stuff why we happen to be catering this amazing russell wedding and mrs garrett's gonna pull out all the stops with these awesome new cheese puffs that she's making hope that 
expositionally revealing that to you doesn't somehow come back to haunt us. Oh, could it? Maybe. I don't know, Cole. It's it's really getting <laughs> tense now. The momentum of intensity and drama is really starting to build at this point. And uh, basically, he charms his way. And he charms Blair. Like, for mm-hmm. Blair saying, I'm going to have him wrapped around face. He's the one that says, why, I just, what happened? You've got yourself a deal there, little lady. Mm-hmm. And she leaves. No sooner does she leave. He picks up the phone and calls Mr. Russell about this wedding. Dum, dum, dum. So then next scene we come back to Edna's edibles. Edna is on the phone and she is mad because the Russells have just canceled the wedding. And they basically have told her we're going with uh, Pete Stelly's Deli catering. Pete Stelly's Deli. <laughs> and so she is fuming mad. It is revealed, basically, that Blair is the one who spilled the beans. That's how he found out. So uh, Blair thinks they should spy on him to see if they can figure out what else he's doing. Uh, And Mrs. Garrett says, I'm going to get to those cheese puffs right now. Yeah, her response was, oh, I just need to hurry up. and We've lost our biggest catering deal, which is later revealed was going to carry them for the entire month. And her response is... I better get on those cheese puffs. Damn fucking right she does. Yes, she does. Yes. <laughs> so then Tootie enters, looking disheveled, and Joe is like, what is that smell? It's terrible. Well, Tootie was dumpster diving and mm-hmm. going through the garbage. So it's funny how the girls just sort of were like they talked about different ideas of what they could do and then they just went off and did their own thing so yeah. Blair went in to charm him Tootie went to them so good thing Joe didn't go to break his legs is all right I can yeah say. well that would have made, but, made an exciting show it it, it would have it would have been uh Natalie then comes in and is like guys come in here I got something to show you they sit down at the computer and she says look at this and they're like what what are we looking at what is this weird machine with a typewriter and a television screen? And uh, she says, Dirk and I, Dirk being the name of the computer, Dirk and I broke through and here is Pete's data <gasps> on his computer. And they're like, what are you talking about? She says, we broke through to his computer. They didn't say break in. They didn't say hacked. Broke but through. she said, I found his books, his orders, and his recipes. And I remember seeing this as a kid, Cole, and being like, what is happening right now? How is it possible? Mind-blowing. It, it, it isn't possible. It is literally <laughs> impossible. It is like you needed to have um, the internet back in the day. The closest thing to a quote-unquote internet was uh, was bulletin board systems uh-huh. or like mainframe mail systems. Mm-hmm. The writers here clearly read something about hacking and computers talking to other computers, but it would have behooved them at the beginning to say, you're even paying extra for that modem. Right, yeah. There is, and, I, did, I did notice, a, mm-hmm. uh, I actually think it was a, no, it wasn't rotary, there was a phone handset and uh, and you know there was a phone n- sitting next to the computer. But I do think it would have been the the time in the age of the internet where 
they would have had to take the handset off the base and uh, put it be, on that other thing. There'd be a cradle. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which that was not happening. This is so completely wrong. You and I cannot justify <laughs> or talk so about it. You don't think they were connected to any sort of internet. The oh, computer no. was just sitting autonomously on the desk and somehow they accessed Pete's computer. Magic. Yes. Magic. Okay. Magic. It was Wi-Fi uh, before there was Wi-Fi. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, like citywide. Yeah. Even if it was, um, okay, This is these are the rewrites I'm going to be sending back in my time machine. Yeah. Number one would be, you know, and even that modem. And then Natalie would have said, well, Mrs. Garrett, the money includes this service that I dial into that stores our data for us. And Pete would have also been on that service. Exactly. And then she could have said, so I maybe was playing around and I maybe just for the heck of it, looked to see if I could, you know, see if his password was something I could. And he never changed the initial password. I changed uh, ours. Yeah. And I hacked in and it's here now. And and basically, then we would have had a little bit more of a, you know, okay, so I willfully and with malice aforethought hacked in and i now have access to this guys what do we do Mm. that would have been a beautiful dilemma and of course yeah yeah and then of course joe was the first one (laughs) ha ha fuck him let me get in there i have she's like i have no ethical problem whatsoever with it and Uh, The other thing is, this is such like, these are words that somebody heard somebody say when they were sitting near a computer. And Natalie, the the prep for this thing that's about to happen is, Natalie says, uh, look, here's his croissant recipe. Oh, he spelled croissant wrong. wrong. I'll fix it for him. Very wrong. Yeah, croissant or, yeah, croissant, yeah. yeah. Uh, Just to show what an unrefined hick he is. Mean, (laughs) evil Southern man. Uh, so she goes in and she changes. She says, I'll correct the spelling. She says, you just do this, type, type, type. You hit delete. And there you go. So this quote unquote hitting delete as being Mm. part of fixing or changing something Mm. that is going to come back in just Mm. a few moments. So, uh, the act of the show ends with, could we change some of the numbers and fuck with his recipes and his orders and they're like yeah i guess i could and tootie's like isn't that against the law and joe is like no 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 no. this is just a weapon that we're using to fight back mm. and off she goes tootie and natalie are clearly not a hundred percent comfortable but joe is going at it full throttle full steam ahead and with that we fade to commercial and applause. And applause, yes. So while we're on the commercial break, Cole, this is where I like to take a moment and get to know my guests. Hello. And talk a little bit about you. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, n- nice to see you. <laughs> you and I got to work together on a, a reading of a musical, like a, um, a workshop reading uh, of a musical uh, a few years back. So that was when our paths first actually professionally crossed. But I had seen yeah. you in... Uh, a production at Mad Cow of James Joyce's The Dead. And oh, you were so good in that. Oh, thank you. And then next thing I know, I'm like, oh, I'm in a reading of a, I'm in a workshop of a musical and, and he's in it too. Cool. <laughs> that was so, a fun, fun time. Our two day musical reading. 
Yeah, it was it was a very very quick process, but it yeah. was it was super fun. And then uh, after that, I discovered your podcast, the Entrepreneur Podcast, and uh, so you are in my ears, in my brain, on a weekly basis. But Aww. let's have a little, just a quick, brief travelogue through your life, Cole okay. Smith. Tell me, where were you born? I was born in Orlando, Florida. What? Yeah. No. I was. Nobody was born in Orlando. People move here, Cole. This guy. No way. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. And have you, uh, you've, I, I look on your social media. You are certainly a well-traveled man. You have been many, many places. You didn't just stay here in town. No, I uh, I actually just counted because I was setting some goals for the next decade. Uh-huh. And in the next decade, I went to make it to my 40th country. I've been to 20, like 22, I think. Yeah. yeah, I love traveling. It's definitely something that I've invested my life in. After high school, I toured around the country with a band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was a wonderful experience. And uh, played music full time for several years. Lived in Nashville for just a short period of time. Lived in Atlanta for a little bit. Uh, but all of my musician friends were here. All my creative friends were here. So I came back. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. great arts community. The, yeah. the the community here is amazing, and you have greatly contributed to that that pot, which we'll talk about in a second. But uh, so you went to school locally. You went to high school. Where did you study? Did you go to college? Did you? Yeah, I went to UCF, and I studied music and creative writing, and okay. got a minor in organizational communication. Oh. Well, those yeah. are all things that have served you quite well. I, it was just one of those things where I was like, what am I going to do here? And then UCF had a liberal studies degree. And so I just kind of built my own program around the things that I cared about. Yeah. And it was really wonderful. Yes. Cool. Now, tell me, what do you, because you are a musician, you are a singer-songwriter, you are an actor, you, um, what, what do you primarily consider yourself to be? I create meaningful experiences that bring people together. Love it. Beautiful. <laughs> you are an artist, Colney Smith. <sighs> so and yeah, sometimes that's on the internet. Sometimes that's in real life. Sometimes that's through music. Sometimes that's by facilitating performances uh-huh. of other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are, your main thing that you do, like for your job, is this thing that you started from the ground up, from nothing, the Creative City Project, yeah. and this annual event called Immerse. Uh-huh. And uh, give me give me your, your elevator pitch so people who, who don't know about this event will know about it now. Yeah, Immerse is the, it's a performing and interactive arts event over 10 city blocks in downtown Orlando. It happens the third weekend of every October. And this year we'll host, hopefully, hopefully, mm-hmm. a thousand artists for about an audience of a hundred thousand people. That is incredible. Yeah. And this was just an idea you had. Uh, I know from listening to your podcast, you you were in another country where you saw there was such an emphasis on interactive and street art, and you said yeah. we need something like that. Where where did that inspiration hit you? My favorite country in the world, Spain. And every year they have a festival in Valencia called Las Fallas where they build these massive statues all over the city and set them all on fire the last day of the festival. And it is epic. Wow. Yeah. 
I came back and I said, I'm going to call my friends and ask them to come play the guitar on the street corner. Uh-huh. That's what I did. And then over the and next 100,000 people showed up. <laughs> and, and no one showed up intentionally for any of that. Okay. A lot of people stumbled onto it. Oh yeah, um, but over the next over the next two years, it really did develop into something that was strategic, and we started getting sound and lights and permits and permission, and mm-hmm. then it became a thing over the course yeah. of the next two years. And where can people find more information about the Creative City Project? Uh, CreativeCityProject.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Creative City Project, as well as Immerse Fest on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, you, a fellow podcaster, have yeah. the wonderful Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, what made you do that on top of all this other stuff? Well, as part of the Creative City Project, one of the things that we want to do is help cultivate a thriving arts community in Central Florida. But our podcast audience has really grown beyond that. And so it's really mm-hmm. wonderful opportunity to connect with artists from all over the world. And I kind of have gone through the struggle and continue to go through the struggle of what it means to be a person working full-time in creative life. And so the Entrepreneur Podcast is designed to help artists make creativity their career. And every week we talk about practical things that make that happen, whether it's developing an artistic discipline or helping artists understand how to market what they do and how they do it. Uh, And then we get to interview some fun people who are actually in the process of or are currently making creativity their career. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Even if people aren't aspiring to make creativity their career, just people who want to get more in touch with their creativity and may not even know really how to start. Yeah. Or anybody with a dream or a passion or something that you've wanted to do. Yeah. Now, it's awesome. And as I've said, it has been very inspirational to me in the uh, beginning and maintenance of this podcast. So uh, having you on is an honor. And I thank you. Thank you. For for the podcast and for being on the show. Yeah. All that means so much. Thank you. Yeah. But Cole, enough about you. Okay, great. Let's get back to the show. We have to get back to this quandary, this conundrum about what is going to happen with Joe jumping off of the ethics cliff, basically. The tension is thick. Jesus. Um, so we come back pretty much shortly after where we left off with the girls still around the computer. And the girls, I mean, Joe, Tootie, Natalie. We do not know where Blair or Mrs. Garrett are at this time. Uh, I do have to point out there was a little file box for five and a quarter inch floppy disks. Did you oh, see that? No, I, I caught the telephone, but I did not see the disk box. So I will point out also, Tootie, still there, same clothes. She smelled like garbage to the point where everyone who saw her was like, Jesus, for fuck, the rest what is of that? the episode. Why couldn't exactly. she change clothes? <laughs> or shower or both. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was deeply, deeply disturbing. So while Joe is ticking away at the computer, uh, Mrs. Garrett bursts in the room. Stop what you're doing. And the girls are all like, <laughs> shit. And Joe turns off the computer. She hits a button and kind uh-huh, of uh-huh, huddles over uh-huh. it. Mrs. Garrett wants them to test out the cheese, the cheese puffs. puffs. Of course. <laughs> and so... They do. It's all fine and dandy. But when Mrs. Garrett leaves, Joe, it's like, uh, okay, how do you turn this thing back on? And Natalie's like, will you do this? And well, where did, uh, where is it? It's not there anymore. Joe, did you hit delete? Everything 
on Phil Stelly's Deli's disc has disappeared <laughs> and you have erased it. It's a tragedy, really. It is. Here's what I know. I grew up in a house with an Apple IIe, and uh-huh. the only way you had data was that it was on a disc. Uh-huh. And so even this idea of them being able to access and change his data as if it was stored on the cloud or something yes! is yes! completely ridiculous. It is reconculus. It is, no, it does, no, it does not work. And yeah, here's the thing. And Tootie does mention, uh, she says, I read in Newsweek about kids who got into trouble for doing this thing. Cole, the article in Newsweek was September 5th, 1983. It's real. This show was taped on November 8th, 1983. It's a real article. Did you read it? I, no, fuck no. I don't read if I don't have to. But uh, <laughs> but it was one of those, again, 83, this was so early on, but the movie War Games did put a lot of fear into a lot of people, and mm. including like President Reagan even, I think it was the reason some legislation was brought up and passed because they're like, wait a minute, could could that really happen? And, and, and kind of the answer was kind of, maybe. Yeah, kind of ish. Yeah. yeah. This episode was ripped from the headlines, Cole. It's facts of life, just totally relevant content of their time and relevant. And this was, this was, that's a win right there for the writers. Yeah. For good for them. Not coming up with this two years down the road when everyone already was like, whatever, this is no big deal. You want another um, fact of life? What's another fact of life? Did you know that every butterfly? can only lay its eggs on one particular plant. Really? The the caterpillar of the monarch butterfly can mm-hmm. only eat milkweed leaves. The caterpillar okay. of the black eastern swallowtail can only eat fennel or parsley. So each species of butterfly is paired has with its a plant. Own unique plant that it will only eat. Can you believe that you've lived your entire life not knowing that? I'm a better man for having known you, Cole. Yeah. I really I, this am. is this is one of the messages that I proselytize on a regular basis. <laughs> so we now move into the shop. Back to Mrs. Garrett's shop, and the joint is jumping. It's busy. It is so busy that our customer lady from the other place is back. Thank and goodness. What has she eaten and is singing the praises of Cole? The cheese puffs. Yes, the cheese puffs. <laughs> and we use our customer lady to even greater effect by she seems to have somehow been invited to this Russell wedding and is friendly enough with Mrs. Garrett to tell her, oh, the Russell wedding food tasted like dog shit. Disaster. It was a failure. The food was awful. She's like, it almost, it was like he was making up the recipe as he went along. (laughs) Was he? (gasps) What could have happened? So, Mrs. Garrett is just thrilled because business is good, and she hears that Steli's Deli may be biting the big ones soon. So, then in comes Officer, oh God, how did she pronounce it? Ziacus? Ziacus? I don't what even try. Weird, I didn't write it down. It's a weird, weird name for Officer. How often does he appear? Uh, this is his second of three appearances. Okay, because he was just on the last episode. I didn't know if he came in at like every episode. No. Did you recognize him, Cole? Uh, no. That is Larry Wilmore from The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Well, look at him. Good for him. 
often billed as the senior black correspondent. That was usually his <laughs> bit that he would do. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's kind of a big deal. And he has a podcast also, Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air. Huh. And so, yeah, he's still a writer, producer, TV show creator, and a political satirist. Nice. And uh, yeah, who knew? I did not recognize him. But he comes in with a summons. And, and he reveals and... a lot about old Southern man <laughs> Pete's knowledge of hacking. He comes it's... in and he says, Pete gave us a call because he knew that you hacked into his computer and deleted all of his data. Yeah. Pete is it's impressive. Like, he is. He's <laughs> He should be Matthew Broderick in War Games. <laughs> yeah, it is so bizarre how... Everybody in this episode is now an expert on mm -hmm. computers and how they work. And it's like, yeah, I, tr I traced the IP address to your <laughs> web browser and found that it was coming from your house. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyhow, Mrs. Garrett is all confused. And so he's and he's sweet. He's a, he's a fun character. I wouldn't have minded if he was on the show more mm -hmm. as the, the cop. This is his beat and he's friendly and likes popping in for free food. Um, so... Uh, very quickly, thankfully, the girls fess up, and Mrs. Garrett is like, you did what? And it's like, it was kind of an accident, and Joe was like, but he had it coming. And I like the phrase that they use, we wiped out his program. That's yeah. You, we wiped yeah. out his program. <laughs> and then you made a Google. <laughs> it's like, what is that? <laughs> we wiped out his program. Yeah, I don't. It, I almost wish she had said, I don't even know what that means, <laughs> but it sounds awful. <laughs> but uh, that's my bad Mrs. Garrett. Oh, it sounds if you just are ever, like her. If you are ever so inspired and want to do a bad Mrs. Garrett, I invite all my guests at any point, drop it in there. Just throw it out there. Uh, so she says, we're going over right now, Joe, you and I, and we're going to beg him to drop the charges. And Joe tries to push back, and in a rare moment, Mrs. Garrett fucking lays mm -hmm. down the law and screams at her. I'm not going to do it. She screams, I am in charge here. Get your coat. March. And Joe cannot fight it. Joe's a like, moment of authority. Then we go back to Pete's. And uh, they go in. They She introduces herself as... Edna from Edna's Edibles, and he's like, oh, no, 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 you will talk to my attorney, deal with him, not with me. And uh, she says, it was an accident. The girls didn't know what they were doing. She says, I promise you, all that stuff, it is stopped, is what she says. It is stopped. And he says, then why don't you call off Mata Harry over here? And you look over and see a woman in a black wig and sunglasses and a trench coat. And it's Blair trying to infiltrate and spy oh. on him. And it is hilariously funny. It is a costuming win for it me. It is a costuming win for sure. Because of the idea of, okay, how would a person, uh, how would an incompetent spy dress in a way that they think is inconspicuous, that is beyond conspicuous. Just like perfect. That. Yep, perfect, absolutely perfect. Um, so then, as the conversation continues, that he is not gonna let her off the hook. In come Tootie and Natalie. Now both of them are disheveled, dirty, and according to the other cast members, smelling like a dumpster. 
<laughs> a dumpster. And what have they found in the dumpster coal? Printed out recipes from Edna's edibles. What? <sighs> yes. Turns out he had been doing the same impossible thing that they did <laughs> for weeks and had been breaking into their computer and stealing the recipes. Wow. Unbelievable. Incredible. But we do it's... know about Pete that he is an expert computer hacker. Uh, so we're not surprised. Yeah. As as most backwoods talking men wearing overalls are, it's like, yeah. Let me smoke my corn cob pipe and go on the internet. <laughs> well, I snuck up on your roof and fished a Cat5 cable down near your <laughs> computer terminal. I put it in the Ethernet port. It was only a 501k board, but it was sufficient enough for me to acquire the data. None of that was said. I'm I don't think the up, term Ethernet cable existed in no, 1983. <laughs> no, the Ethernet did not exist. No. And now we get to the worst part of the show, the episode. Uh, when he and when he cries out, "The South will rise again!" Uh, wow. Yeah. And no, no one in the store bats an eye when he shouts no. that. No. And it's like, I'm going to be introducing some Tennessee-style Tennessee cheese, cheese puffs. And, oh, okay. Oh, um, it was so unbearable to watch. Although no one in the moment had a negative reaction. I, uh, yeah. Did not age well. So at this point, it's like, oh, is, is he supposed to be from Tennessee? Is that what this accent is supposed to have been, this... This foghorn, leghorn dialect that sounds more like, you know, welcome to Tara, Miss Scarlet. Let's head on up to Georgia now. Yeah. It's, it's not a very Tennessean accent. Yeah. So the episode basically ends with them saying, okay, well, we won't press charges if you don't press charges. Mm -hmm. And he does shake her hand and say, uh, fair solution. That's right. Um but he does say, I'm still planning to introduce the cheese puffs. And then they get into this weird sparring match where yeah. she is just laughing at him and getting him more angry. She's poking the bear in the cage. Yeah. And it's fun and it's lovely to see Mrs. Garrett with the upper hand. But at the same time, you're like, girl, get out while the getting's good. Mm -hmm. Don't don't piss him off. You just came to an agreement. Well, he then he then also flips teams Civil War teams. How so? Well, so he's, he has this horrible line about the South Rising again. Yeah. But then when they're in the argument, he says, I'm going to rip through you like Sherman ripped through <gasps> Georgia. You're right. Which is a That's... Union army coming through Georgia and retaking Savannah. the Confederate. Yeah. Wow. I totally missed that. But you're right. Totally. Huh, so. again, gee, did these writers not do research or something? <laughs> did they not have the internet? They Clearly were. they did. <laughs> Clearly they had the internet. That's what this whole episode is about. <laughs> but no one was putting any data on it yet. Just yeah. Pete's recipes and <laughs> and Mrs. G's books. That's all that was on the internet at the time. And so they could. there was no Wikipedia. There were no historical articles, no journals. They had no, no they information. They had nothing there. <laughs> 
the, the couple of good barbs Mrs. Garrett gets is, and uh, in addition to Sherman ripping through Georgia, I take that as a threat, just saying, threatening a woman. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I'm going to reduce you to a grease spot. And she says, oh, talking about your cooking again. <laughs> she really got him there. And then he says, I will bury you. And she says, right next to your food. And she's just loving it. And then they just freeze frame, roll credits. We're done. They're trading barbs. And I'm like, I I would have loved for Joe to say, Mrs. Garrett, shut up and let's go. Get out. <laughs> don't piss him off. We, yes, we're at a stalemate, but don't poke the bear in the cage. Especially when he doesn't know what side of the Civil War he's right. fighting on. Yes. He's not well balanced. No, clearly. he's definitely not. <laughs> As I said before, I like to do rewrites and send them back in my time machine to the writers. The fact that they settle amicably, and then he still comes back with, I'm still making your cheese puffs, bitch. Oh. That's where Mrs. Garrett could have, Joe should have, you know, said, well, 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 this isn't over yet type. And Mrs. Garrett say, no, 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 it's okay. You have no idea what I still have in my recipe box. Now, that sounds dirty. I don't like that. But some type of an allusion to, uh, yeah, you got some of my recipes, but fucker, you think that's all I got? There's way more where that came from. Yeah. You need to steal my shit to have anything to offer your customers. Bring it. Go right ahead. Steal from somebody else, but you're not going to take my customers away Mm -mm. again. No. And that would have been a nice little declarative final button to Mrs. Garrett's where I stand in the situation now. It would have given us a nice button, yes. Yeah, that's true. So, Cole, we're at the end of the episode. Wow. (laughs) So before I send you on your way, the last thing I like to ask my guests is, uh, name a commercial. Name a random commercial that was one that you liked or that you remember, something from your childhood. Just throw out a classic commercial. The first thing that's coming to mind that's current. Do it. 800-588-2300-EMPIRE. Has anybody brought that one up? Call now. <laughs> no one has, no. And that is, honestly, that is a classic commercial because there are there are probably people in their 20s who have never lived in a world without that theme song in it. Sure. You know, I, I, I just sang that poorly because I was just kind of doing it out of thin air, but... That walk down at the beginning of that song is actually quite chromatic. Eight hundred five eight eight. It's kind of it's an it's an impressive jingle. Eight hundred five yeah, eight eight two three hundred. Yeah. Empire. Yeah. Today. Oh no. Today. That's it. <laughs> Today. <laughs> so, my darling, we are at the end of the show. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Thank you. I'm really, really glad we had this chance to connect and if if not in person, digitally hang out. This yeah. was really fun. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Uh-huh. So to you, my dear, I say thank you, smooches, and goodbye. Bye. And there you have it. That was Cole Neesmith. I am so glad he agreed to do the show. And like I said, he legitimately has been an inspiration to me and been very helpful in getting this podcast launched and off the ground. So I thank him for his inspiration as well as for being a guest on the show. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 5, Episode 11, called The Second Time Around. 
You can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes, and you can also find it on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much, guys, for listening this week as every week. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>